Welcome to the Lowdown Podcast. This edition was produced specially for Columbia Alumni Leaders Experience 2020. Hi, my name is Caroline Sinise Levine, and in this podcast, we're talking about how to get people to trust you, both as a leader within your organization and as a thought leader with your audience. I'm so excited to be a part of the Columbia Alumni Leaders Experience. So how did I get involved with Kale? I always like to give a little background because anytime you're taking advice, whether it's about how to be a leader with credibility, how to be a thought leader with your audience or whatever it is, you do want to know where you're getting that advice from. In my case, I'm a Barnard alumna and I've stayed involved with Columbia as a coach with the Columbia Career Coaches Network. I also teach salary negotiation at Barnard's Athena Leadership Center. I lead the career curriculum for Columbia Business School's Executive Program in Management and I teach professional development at SEPA. So I'm still very actively involved with Columbia University. It makes sense to be part of this alumni leaders experience. Now, how am I involved with the journalism and leadership track specifically? Well, I myself am involved in media. I'm a senior contributor to Forbes Leadership, and I formerly wrote career advice columns for Money Portfolio and CNBC Executive Careers. I'm also a media expert on the job market. I've been on CNN, CBS, Fox Business, and some other major media outlets. And then on the flip side, on the business side, I formally ran several recruiting areas, including campus recruiting and diversity programs for Time Inc. I have also recruited for Condé Nast, Disney ABC, and TV Guide. I'm a leadership coach with the Asian American Journalists Association and the Maynard Institute. And I've worked one-to-one with media professionals on both the business and creative sides. So again, makes sense for me to be involved uh, with the journalism and leadership track specifically. So how do you become a trusted leader? Well, let's talk about the environment in which we need to navigate. We are in VUCA times, V-U-C-A, V for volatile, U for uncertain, C for complex, A for ambiguous. So while we cannot eliminate VUCA, the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, the ambiguity, we cannot eliminate these, but we can increase our capacity to cope. And I love this quote from John F. Kennedy, who said, do not pray for easy lives, pray to be stronger. And that's something to think about as you lead in these difficult times. So let's talk about what we're dealing with today. The elephant in the room, I think, is both remote communication and crisis communication. We have a lot of breaking news, crisis upon crisis in the world. And of course, the world is very separated right now with people working from home, uh, with social distancing uh, being required. And so it does require a change, frankly, in the way that you're communicating uh, with others. And so as a leader in times like these, I would suggest that you communicate more, not less. And the phrase that I think is a magic phrase to use as much as possible right now is, here's what I know. 
So in lieu of saying, I don't know, you would say, here's what I know. Because no news is not good news uh, in a crisis or when people are working remotely. You want to be able to say something. At the same time, misinformation, uh, incorrect information spreads quickly. And so you don't necessarily want to guess when you don't have a definitive answer. And that's why here's what I know really enables you to both answer a question where you might want to still check on something uh, or maybe research something further, but it also gives at least some closure in the moment. And then finally, I would suggest that you start with here's what I know, uh, even if people don't have questions, because sometimes if you ask people if they have questions, uh, they might not be willing to, to raise their hand and to ask a question. And again, in the remote environment where we're not bumping into people and creating those, those smaller social connections, uh, you know, it might be harder to, to grab someone and to say, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about this or I have a question about this. And so that phrase, here's what I know, that you will say as a leader really invites people to a conversation. You're not waiting for a question. You can't assume that people um, have specific questions um, or that they're willing to ask questions. And when you yourself want to ask questions of your team, of your colleagues, or if you're managing up of the people above you, ask open-ended questions. So an example of that would be, you know, how are you feeling rather than are you feeling okay, which is a yes or no answer. Or what do you need instead of do you need anything? Again, do you need anything? Someone might assume that they can't tell their manager that they need anything. And so they'll just say no. When, if you ask them, so what do you need uh, right now? Uh, what can I help you with? Instead of, do you need help? Uh, you're inviting them with an open-ended question to really answer. And I would say that, you know, even asking about um, personal things. How are things at home? How are things with the family? If you know that they have a family or you can insert whatever personalization uh, you have with your staff, again, with your colleagues, even with your fellow leaders. Um, again, asking how are things rather than are things good invites uh, people to the conversation. Do not assume that people will ask for help or will offer information unsolicited. The point about open-ended questions is that they are open-ended and they leave the door open for increased communication. So important during times where we're working remotely and we're working under crisis. And then finally, what I would say about these particular times is don't be afraid to use humor to lighten the mood. And there's a great book by Andrew Tarvin called Humor That Works. And it's specifically around examples of appropriate humor, uh, when to use humor. And I'll have to say, there's a funny, funny list of knock-knock jokes uh, in the book. The book is peppered with various jokes. And of course, now that I mentioned this list of knock-knock jokes, I'll just mention one as an example. Knock-knock, who's there? Little old lady, little old lady who? I didn't know you yodeled. So again, 
Um, knock, knock jokes might not be your go-to thing, but I have to say that um, the thinking about using humor uh, to lighten the mood, uh, I think is something that, that you should consider as a leader during times, again, which can be quite stressful and where we don't have the physical contact uh, to be more socially connected, you'll have to make a bigger effort. Now, also with communication, you want to set clear guidelines for how you will be communicating now. Don't assume that what worked for you before, even if you feel close to your team, even if you feel like you've already established yourself as a leader, don't assume that what you did before will work now because uh, you do want to set guidelines given that so many things have changed. How will people get a hold of you? What's your preferred medium now that things are entirely remote or mostly remote? Is it phone? Is it email? Is it text? Uh, what number if there are uh, multiple numbers? How should people reach out? Um, uh, how often will you meet with your team? Uh, what reports or updates do you want? Because again, things have changed. Now that you're not seeing people, now that you're not bumping into someone in the hallway, you have to make an effort to communicate. So how should your team do that with you? How should they uh, raise their hand with ad hoc questions uh, that come up in between meetings? And then of course, with your own manager, you want to turn that question around and ask them what they need and want. Because part of being a good leader, of course, is not only managing your team, but also interacting well with your own manager and your fellow leaders. And as I had mentioned communicating more, I would also say check in more frequently. Priorities and deadlines change and change faster when uh, you are in crisis mode or when there are big changes. And of course, I would put the pandemic and all of its disruption uh, to our world and to our markets in that uh, change more frequently. So make sure that you are checking in with your team. Recognize that staffing and resources may have changed for your colleagues and your fellow leaders. And so your interactions uh, with people in general, you want to check in on that and not assume uh, business as usual. And remember that People who report directly to you, people who are your colleagues, your fellow leaders, um, everyone has a different comfort level with this new normal, with working remotely. And so give and ask for help. So think about where you need help and offer help more frequently um, because, again, we are all still adjusting uh, to this new normal. And so thinking about the issue of trust, right? Communication is an obvious building block of trust. So I felt like I should open uh, with discussing communication in this new normal. I think that any kind of discussion about trust would be incomplete if we didn't at least address communication. But let's talk specifically about building trust as a leader. So you have a team that you want to engender this trust with. And if you look at your team, the people that you are responsible for that are either your direct reports or maybe you're the leader of a project, uh, so your team might change in and out, but for this project, you're the leader. And if you look at 
your team, your staff, um, they really can be organized by effectiveness and engagement. So if you think of a grid and you think of four quadrants and one of the, let's say the X axis is engagement. How engaged are people? You can put them on one side as highly engaged. You can put them on the other side as not so engaged. Of course, there are gradations uh, in between, but you know, you can also think of it as high or low engagement. And then on the Y axis, you can think about effectiveness. They can be highly effective or they can not be effective, right? And so as a leader, you're trying to drive your team up to both high engagement and high effectiveness. And when you think about high engagement and high effectiveness, you think about high performers. Really, these are the high performers. They are competent, so they're effective. They're competent in their skills and their expertise. They get results. They're also engaged. They're willing. They're enthusiastic. So think about it. Do you have high performers on your team? Now, let's move the dial a little bit. Let's say you have effective people, right? They are able to do their job well, but they are not engaged. So they're unwilling. They're not enthusiastic. You could say they have a little bit of an attitude problem. So they are a star when it comes to effectiveness, but they're a problem when it comes to engagement. And so I call these folks the problem stars. And you might find that there are some folks that you are trying to lead that fall into that category. Or let's take someone who is high on the engagement side. They're enthusiastic, they're hardworking, but they're low on the effectiveness side. They're lacking somehow in skills and expertise. Their work quality isn't good. So I would call them an earnest underperformer, right? High effectiveness, low, high engagement, but low effectiveness. And then finally, there are folks who are low in both categories. They are low in effectiveness. They don't deliver results. They are lacking in their skills, their expertise, or their qualifications. They're also lacking in their engagement. They are unwilling. They are disengaged. They are unenthusiastic. Now, these are folks that you have to manage very, very carefully. They are they are candidates for performance improvement plans where you really have to spell out uh, how they need to improve and what the consequences are. So I call these folks PIPs for performance improvement plan because that's what you will need um, to, to lead them. And so the reason why you want to think about your team and who they are and what they need is because in order to engender trust and to really be a leader that they will follow, you have to appeal to them and you have to help them in a way that is relevant to them. And so as a leader, think about, you know, are you more of a coach or a director? A coach meaning that you're really cheering someone on and you're focused on that engagement side, that morale side, that's a good thing. But again, some people might already have the engagement side down and what they really need is more direction. And that's another way of leading. It's leading as a director where you're more hands-on and you're more 
involved in kind of giving instruction uh, and helping people along uh, specifically. And again, that can be called for when you need to move someone along that effectiveness scale. And so the most effective way of, of leading other people and getting that trust from other people is about being responsive to what they need. So if you have someone who is already a high performer, who's both effective and engaged, you want to support them and make sure that they stay that way, that they avoid burnout, that they maintain that level of challenge and interest. At the same time, if you have those problem stars, they're already able to do the job. You don't have to focus on directing them, but you do have to somehow find a way um, to coach for morale, to get them excited again. On the flip side, if you have someone who's already excited, um, where they are willing, they're enthusiastic, well, they need some more hands-on direction. And so your role as a leader and something that's going to help them and build your relationship with them is more about directing them and developing them. And so it's not about one style or the other. The best leader does both. And of course, if you're in a situation where someone needs performance improvement, where they need help both in being effective on the job and they also need help uh, to become engaged again in the job, you need to be both a coach and a director. And so it's not about one method of leading that's going to build trust and build an effective team. It is about being able to flex your style based on what an individual person needs and also what the individual situation calls for. Because even as I'm describing people as, let's say, a high performer, both engaged and effective, or a problem star where they're effective but not engaged, you can see that the same person might move from quadrant to quadrant, they might be a high performer. And then all of a sudden you change their role, you give them something new, they're still engaged in their work, but now they're struggling because they're new to that role. You've given them something that they're unable to do and they need some more hands-on direction. Or you might take that same high performer, you give them something new and it's not something that they're very interested in. They didn't ask for this, or maybe it's just one thing too many, and all of a sudden, you've, you've turned a high performer into a problem star. So again, trust as a leader or the best way to lead people isn't about you and what you're comfortable with. It's actually about what the other person needs, and that might change by the situation. And so you really want to understand your own personal preferences. Are you more of a coach? Do you tend to focus more on the engagement side of things? That could be fine if that's what people need. Um, if you are a director and you've worked with people who need more direction, that could also be fine because that's what they need. But as you grow into leadership and as you work with more people and then you work inevitably with a wider variety of people, a wider variety of situations, you will realize that your preferred leadership style is not necessarily what you need to develop trust and to really develop your team. So to summarize, the high performers, they need to stay there. 
they need to, you need to find a way to keep them challenged and to also keep them uh, up to date on the skills and the expertise that is making them so effective and at the same time to help them avoid burnout because these are folks who might be working very hard, uh, who are very, very invested. They might not know to take a step back. And so your role as a leader is really to, to protect them and to support them. At the same time, if you have a problem star, someone who already knows how to do their job, you don't have to tell them how to do their job, but they need to want to be there. Uh, they do need an attitude adjustment because you don't want that negative attitude to spill over into the rest of your team. That's why it's a problem because you want the rest of the team to trust that you have their back and that you are not just allowing someone with a negative attitude to run amok because they happen to be doing the job. If you have someone who is enthusiastic and really hardworking and well-meaning, but they're struggling, you as a leader need to support them and you will win their trust by showing them that you're not just there to, to cheer them on, come what may, but you're also there to help them with the hard stuff, the skills, the technical training, uh, help them with, uh, you know, maybe sitting with them more closely and you know, going through the processes and the work that they need to do. That's important as well. And then finally, of course, with a problem uh, performance improvement plan folks where they have problems both on the effectiveness side and the engagement side, you really want to be clear uh, about what they need to do um, and give a timetable for when they need to do it. Um, part of trust is that the other person believes that you're looking out for them. And so if they feel like, well, this is a no-win situation, there's nothing that I can do, or it's too late, um, they might just disengage entirely and, and not do anything to improve the situation. So if you're clear with them on what they could do, that obviously opens the door that this is fixable. And if you give them a clear timetable that shows specifically that it's not too late. And so as a leader, and I'm talking about trust, which seems like this amorphous quality or attribute, it's actually something that's very specific. It's about what you do day to day. It's how you treat your team, how you guide them, and how you, how you work with them, not based on what comes easily or naturally to you, but by what they need. Um, and I will add that you can take this model of effectiveness and engagement, and you can use it not just for your team or people who are directly reporting into you, but also with your relationships with your colleagues and with your relationship uh, with your own manager, that you want to think about trust as people who are both enthusiastic to be relating to you and to be working with you, um, and then also who are effective and who collaborate with you and where you can get uh, the results that you need and want for yourself and for the company. And so that's trust from a leadership perspective within an organization. 
But we are also talking about specifically journalism and leadership, and there's also trust with an audience. And in that situation, of course, we're talking about really thought leadership because you're not directly managing people. You're not even directly interacting uh, with people. Sometimes, sometimes it's a one-way interaction. You write something uh, or edit something uh, or record something, and you don't know necessarily how it's consumed, if it's consumed, or how it's interpreted. So what you're really doing there is you're putting out your thought leadership to an audience, and you want to think about basically tailoring what you're putting out there to your audience, thinking about what media are you using? So when you're writing something, are we talking about, you know, a long form, a short form? Are we talking about uh, an email communication, let's say, to a subscriber list? Um, or again, are we talking about an exhaustively researched uh, article? Are we talking digital? Um, are we talking about, uh, let's say, social media, whether it's a tweet or something slightly lengthier, let's say a Facebook post, or let's say that it's a video. Are we talking about in real life? Are we talking about a speech or a workshop where there might be a little bit of back and forth or at least some Q&A? So what media are you using for your thought leadership? Who are you talking to from a demographic standpoint? So who are these people, age, uh, residence, occupation, income level, gender, race, ethnicity, and then who are you talking to from a psychographic uh, perspective in terms of, you know, what are they thinking? What are their priorities, their goals, their wants, and their needs? So part of being uh, an effective thought leader and really engendering that trust is speaking to an understanding uh, who it is uh, that you're talking to. And that involves understanding their demographics and their psychographics. And then, of course, your thought leadership is around your message. What are you trying to convey? Um, a specific message, a call to action, or just your general expertise. Really what I'm getting at is that as a thought leader, you have to decide what is it that you want to be known for and by whom. And therefore, how are you going to accomplish that in terms of your media? And so as a thought leader, you want to be thinking about really refining and building and shaping your platform across, I would say, three main elements. One, your reputation, which goes to credibility. Two, your actions, because your day-to-day -day actions, the output uh, that you create, again, whether that's in writing, whether that's digital, whether that's in real life, that speaks to, of course, your credibility uh, and builds your reputation. And then, of course, there's your personal style. It's how you're conveying your message. And so all three of these elements, reputation, actions, and style, contribute to your thought leadership platform. Now, your reputation gives you credibility. So you want to have regular and ongoing feedback. Uh, put a Google alert on your name on your company name, on your intellectual property, like the title of, let's say, your, your podcast or your column or a book, if you've written a book, uh, you want to stay on top of what is being said about you and about what you stand for. And then, of course, uh, you want to know and cultivate 
what your go-to skills are, your expertise, um, and the attributes that people associate you with. So you have a sense, hopefully, of what your reputation is. Um, I know, for example, as uh, a media expert on careers, I specifically get asked a lot about job market and job market trends, uh, much more so than about on-the-job performance. So uh, I do speak about on-the-job, I do speak about uh, leadership development, uh, but not nearly as much as job search, career change, uh, more of that transition. And so that's something that I keep in mind, if I ever wanted to move the needle, I, I would realize that I would need to, to somehow change that. And so you want to be thinking about what are you already known for um, and uh, you want to cultivate that or you want to change that if that's something, uh, if you want to move into a new area. You want to help your audience find you and engage with you. And so by knowing uh, kind of where you're already known and what you're already known for, uh, you can think about uh, how to change that if you need to. And so knowing something about what has come before you, and that's your reputation, uh, will give you a window uh, into how you can manage your thought leadership platform. Now, your actions, the things that you do day to day is your proof. This is you walking the talk. So how do you spend your time? What are you doing day in and day out in terms of what are you writing about? What are you speaking about? Uh, what is your messaging? What are you saying? What are the topics that you're covering? Um, so that speaks to what your expertise is, uh, what your message is, what you want to be known for. And so you want to select topics and you want to put output that is related to what your priorities are, what you want your messaging to be. And if you don't have time to cover everything, so in my example of covering careers, I had mentioned that I am more known for the transition piece, finding a new job, starting a new career versus the on-the-job performance. These are two very, very big topics. And so you want to pick and choose. Um, and so you want to think about for your own area of expertise, you, know, you want to pick and choose uh, your activity and make sure that you are putting out there the articles, the books, the talks uh, that are related to uh, what it is um, that you want to be your proof and what you want to be known for. And as you change your expertise, if you decided, let's say in my case, if I wanted to change from the job transition to performance on the job, I would be looking at my talks and my articles and saying, okay, I am going to deliberately focus on different subjects and more on the job subjects rather than transition. So you can make those changes with the actions that you take. And then finally, there's of course your style, your messaging. And here this goes to likability. If you remember what I was talking about as a leader of people, as a leader of your teams, and I was talking about both effectiveness which in this case would be goes to credibility, goes to reputation, goes to your actions that are your proof, but there's also engagement. And this is about your messaging, your likability. So your style, your tone, how you're putting yourself uh, out there. Because two 
bloggers, to pundits, to experts, to journalists can have similar reputations. They both can be in the hard news space. They both can be putting out long form articles uh, and also books. Uh, and they want to continue both in the hard news area and also with their long form articles and in their books. But they might have very, very different brands because their style is very different. You might have someone who has just a more conversational messaging, uh, maybe a snarky, irreverent voice. And you can have someone who has the more pragmatic, just the facts. And that's not uh, making a judgment call. That's just, again, making a style call based on your choice for your voice. Just recognize that what you choose as your style uh, for your thought leadership platform is going to influence who comes to you as your audience. And so you do want to choose a style that is tailored to the audience uh, that you want to build your trust with. And it's important to have a consistent, specific, and positive style. If you're not sure how you're coming across, you might want to interact with uh, your readers um, or participants of your, your workshops or your talks and really ask them uh, what they're, they're getting out of it or pay attention to the comments um, that you're getting uh, four pieces that you're putting out there for thought leadership you're putting out there to see that the people, the audience that you want are the people that are actually responding uh, to your work. Um, and if not, or if you're not getting the engagement that you're looking for, you might think about tweaking that style. So remember, think about establishing, refining, or changing your thought leadership platform using these three elements. So your reputation, which goes to credibility. Are you credible to the audience that you want for what you want to be known for? So that's something that you are choosing. You are building trust around a specific body of work, around a specific message, around a specific expertise, and you are building trust with a specific audience. Not everybody, your specific audience. Your actions, what you're doing day to day, the output you put, the type of output, the frequency of the output, whether it's long form articles or talks or video or something else, you're choosing based on the audience uh, and what they want and need. And then finally, of course, your style, your voice, your messaging. Is it positive, unique, and is it aligned, again, with the audience that you're trying to build trust with? So how do you get people to trust you both as a leader within your organization, but also as a thought leader with your audience? Well, I talked about responding to the times, in this case, uh, being able to communicate remotely, being able to communicate in crisis mode. And I gave some suggestions around checking in more frequently, asking open-ended questions, not assuming that everyone is comfortable with remote and crisis communication, really checking in and asking and not making those assumptions. I talked about being both a coach and a director, that as a leader, you're not defaulting 
to what you naturally do or what you prefer to do, but that you are looking at what your team needs, what your colleagues need, what your own manager needs. You're looking to increase both effectiveness and engagement. And when you need to increase effectiveness, you need to direct more, you need to help people more specifically, be more hands-on. When you're looking to increase engagement, you're coaching people, you're focusing on morale, on the bigger vision. And so you want to be able to both direct and coach because you're going to need both to develop as a leader and to develop trust as a leader. And then as a thought leader, uh, regarding uh, developing trust with your audience, similar effectiveness and engagement, but we're talking more about credibility and likability. And you want to tailor your reputation, your actions, and your style to the audience that you want and to the message, uh, the call to action that you're trying to get across. So I hope that this was helpful regarding ideas and specific action steps and suggestions for you to develop trust both as a leader within your organization and as a thought leader with your audience. I would love to hear your questions, your comments, your feedback so that I could get a sense for you as my audience. You can keep in touch with me on my website, sinezalevine.com. That is just my last name without my hyphen. And while you're there, you can pick up a free downloadable checklist, 25 career mistakes even smart professionals make because leadership development is an ongoing exercise, folks. And trust is but one factor that you should be working on. And hopefully this podcast has helped you to do that. Um, but it's something that you want to work on on an ongoing basis, and that checklist can help give you some ideas about other areas uh, that you might want to work on that you maybe overlook. So thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to hearing from each and every one of you, and have a good rest of your leader's experience. <music>